How many voices do you hear in a given day? Those from our culture tell us that we need to do something to be lovable and to be successful and to be honored and cherished and affirmed. Day after day we hear this message that you have to do something. You have to make yourself something. And you need to get cracking at measuring up so that you can be found valuable. That's the message of our culture and, and the constant dripping of those voices within our culture slowly seep into our own hearts, don't they? Where we start to really think that God looks at us that way as well. I hear it time and time again from Christians who are like, man, I just am, I'm not really that great of a Christian. I'm struggling, which is something that is common to all of us. And we begin to think that God looks at us in the same way and it begins to erode in our own hearts that we begin to think that God Himself looks at us and says, when are you going to get your stuff together? I'm tired of this. When are you going to start doing something really awesome for me? You hear, heard this story of Lottie Moon. When are you going to go do something like that? And we can feel this, this weight and this guilt and this shame and this feeling of like, I don't really love God like I ought to. And we start saying that a lot. I should do this. I shouldn't do that. I ought to do this. I ought not to do that. And these voices constantly drip and constantly erode at our own hearts to where we begin to morph the culture's voices with God's own voice. And I don't know about you, but I live with a constant inner critic. A voice in my heart and in my mind that says, you're not that great. You messed up again. You didn't, didn't do what you said you were going to do. You, you slept in too late. You did what you ought not to do, Matt. And I'm sure it started when I was a kid. I'm sure it started when I found out that if I made really great grades, then people liked me. And people affirmed me. And people said, well, Matt's, Matt's a pretty smart fella. And so I began to take that on as my identity. And maybe there's things in your own life that you're doing. And in fact, I, I would venture to say that there are. And in a moment, in this moment, I want to ask you to consider what it is. Is that voice in your head that you are constantly thinking, I need to do better. I need to do more. I'm not what I ought to be. Maybe for you, you have been finding the voices in your heart and in your head is that you're looking at others and you begin to say, I like that. <laughs> I, I like that team or I like that kind of clothes, that kind of fashion or that music or that movie and you don't really. But you find yourself morphing into what other people like so that they like you. Maybe that's not you. Maybe instead you find that you need to achieve something. Maybe it's a title. Maybe it's a certain job or a certain university or a certain thing that you're like, if I, got, if I got these things together in my life, if, if I achieved something great, then people would say, man, sign me up for his team. I want to be on that team. I want to be successful like him or her and do something great. Maybe, maybe for you, the voice in your head is that you are really, really, really unique and nobody understands what you're going through because everybody, nobody actually is like you. And so you're really, really unique. Or maybe it's the voice in your head is that 
I need to have a certain security in my life. Maybe it's a certain job, and so I'm just going to stay at this job that I hate because it's secure. And there's something to be said for staying at a job that you don't like day to day, but maybe you find that you're looking at your savings account and saying, well, if it, if it were a little bit more, then I'd feel like I've arrived. Maybe the voice in your head is that you can't be too secure, you can't be too safe, so you better have an exit plan. You better hedge your bets because you may get fired tomorrow. (laughs) And so you are clamoring through all of these actions to try to find a way for being valuable and being worthy and being admirable, being affirmed in who you are as a person. These are subtle ways that every single one of us in this room, myself included, we are trying to find our value in what we do. And how good we are. And how perfect we are. Or how we're not as bad as that person over there. And we would never say that over coffee. But deep down in our hearts, if we were to ask ourselves, why am I so discouraged and disappointed and frustrated with life? And it might be that you are not finding your value where it needs to be. You're finding it in what you are doing and not in who you are. I had a little bit of uh, vulnerability a moment ago about finding my, my joy and my affirmation and making great grades. And maybe that's you too. Or maybe you didn't get picked on the basketball team. I promise you, at some level... That is seeped into your life and your identity of who you are. You may have got picked last, and that's still eating and gnawing at you. So if you can work really hard, you can prove that you need to get picked first. Or maybe you got made fun of in fourth grade because you couldn't do fractions. Maybe there are people in your life who look at you and say you'll never measure up to anything and you have slowly began to take on that identity as though it's true and you begin to think that that's the way that God views you because that's the way other human beings have viewed you whatever it is you and I in the dark recesses of the night are constantly on edge to do something to prove our worth And so we are on the defense all the time, always thinking that people think we're a dummy (laughs) or thinking that people think that we don't have it together, which, newsflash, we don't. But we think that if we can just kind of have this exterior vision of what people behold in us, that, man, they'll think that I'm worthy of love and worthy of acceptance, And so we explain away when somebody brings an observation to us and we're like, hey, you said you were going to do that, but you didn't do it. We get really defensive. Have you ever gotten defensive? That is a telltale sign that you are probably finding your identity in something in that you're doing. When somebody says, hey, you uh, didn't pass muster on this. You failed. Does Does the word failure just kind of, whoa, I don't like that word. Don't say that. That's a dirty word. Because deep down in our hearts, we don't understand and we're not putting the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ at work in our lives. We're putting it in something else. We're putting it in our performance. We're putting it in our affirmations of other people in our lives. And so, we need to prepare for our King 
And this is how we're going to do it, by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Because during this season of Advent, I've encouraged each of us to, to make room in our hearts. And you would say, well, I, I'm always ready for Jesus to come into my heart. But you find yourself running and clamoring, getting frustrated, getting overwhelmed is our, is our favorite word in our culture, busy. And we aren't making room for Jesus in our lives. We're saying, I, mean, I, I know I need to pray more. Well, make room in your life for that to happen. And so before I read these verses today, I want to remind us that this is an opening to, the, to a letter to a church in Corinth. And we're going to be spending a lot of time, in fact, a couple months in the letter to the, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians as the new year comes around. Um, but for right now, we're just going to be looking at these first nine verses because the, the lectionary has given us the, the grace to be able to look at these verses in conjunction with all the other pieces of Isaiah 64 and Mark 13 and those kind of things. And it bears mentioning how do we prepare our hearts. It's by reminding ourselves and one another of who we are. Where is our identity and what ought we to find our identity in? And if you think the answer is Jesus, you're right. <laughs> but how many times have you heard, how, how many of you, if I were sitting in your place, where I'm being told by the preacher to say, we need to find our identity in Jesus, you say, yeah, I already knew that, thanks. But then if you drill down into it, you're actually like, huh, maybe I don't. Maybe I'm finding something in what I'm doing. And my, I venture to say, if you and I were to have coffee, that'd be the very problem that both of us have. Is that if we think that if we do enough, that I will be worthy of love, and that you'll like me, I'll like you, everybody will be happy. But I think at root during this Advent season, what I'm at pains for each of us in our church, if you're a member of Redeemer, to grasp and to hold on to is where your identity has to be in because otherwise we're going to constantly be on guard against other people, get defensive, get frustrated, wonder if anybody likes me anymore because I messed up. Even in preaching in this moment, right, I could be tempted to say, well, I really got to bring it so that people like me. And so even in this very moment, I have to be careful, just like you have to be careful when you leave from this place that you aren't finding your identity in what you do. And that's so foreign to us because our culture is replete with you have to do more to be liked. You have to know who the latest music group is if you're in high school. That's a really popular thing. At least it was when I was in high school. Like I know all the groups that you do. I actually knew that group before they were cool. Is that still popular now? To know somebody before they were cool, well, that's how it comes out. Even the little, little things. If you don't know about the latest meme on social media, right? This is how it all comes out, I promise you. To where we want to, we're afraid of missing out, right? That's the latest way of putting this. This fear of missing out stems from a performance. Stems from us wanting to make sure that everybody knows that I know I knew that. Yeah, I knew about that one. And so my challenge to each one of us during this Advent season is to let Jesus Christ, through the power of His Spirit, do some real heart work so that Advent 2023 is not like 2022. But that you and I are actually doing business with God Himself. I don't care if you were raised in church or if this is your first time coming to church. But God wants to do a fresh work in your life 
today if you'll have ears to hear. So let's look at 1 Corinthians and, and imagine, because he is, that Paul is writing this letter to you. 1 Corinthians 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth and Greenville, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you are taking notes, there are two points. The first one is this, is that you need to know who you are, your identity, who you are. See, look at this. Paul begins his letter not by lambasting the Corinthians. Like I said, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians a little bit later, and they have got a slew of issues. But he doesn't come at them and say, what in the world are you doing? That comes later in the letter, by the way. <laughs> but he doesn't start his letter out that way, does he? He doesn't say, Man, what is wrong with y'all? <laughs> he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. I'm sure the Corinthians, they got wind of the fact that Paul knew some things about them, that they were saying one thing, but they were doing something else. And kind of like a 10-year-old boy who hasn't cleaned up his room yet, and he hears his father's footsteps coming down the hall, and they're like, uh-oh. Please don't read that letter in front of everybody, because it's going to get ugly. Well, that's probably what they're feeling. They're feeling this tension built up in their own hearts as they get a letter from, from Paul, and they're not like, oh yeah, I can't wait to read it. They're probably like, uh, please don't, can we just pass that around? I don't want that red. I don't want my mail red in front of everybody else. They're bracing for impact. But Paul teaches you and me in how he addresses them. Not only in how he addresses them, but what he says about them, who they are. He calls them, did you see this? He calls them sanctified. And then it's derivatives of saints. Or another word is holy, right? He says, Corinthians, I know you got some issues, but you are holy. You are sanctified by God Himself. See, I, Mother Teresa, I get. John Chrysostom, I get. St. Anthony of Egypt, I get. I get all of those folks. Yes, call them saints. But do not call somebody who is uh, creeping on his mother-in-law a saint. That's weird and icky. But Paul is willing to do that. Why? Because he's got a different way of viewing these Corinthians, and this is what's instructive for you and me, is how are you viewing other Christians? Do you see them the same way that God sees them as sanctified, set apart, as holy? Because Paul does. Paul has a way of looking at them with lenses, with the gospel, of saying, I know that you're not everything that you're going to be, but you are sanctified. 
See, within the discipline of theology, academics have played around this idea of sanctification. In particular, certain terminology of sanctification, they've come, come up with two kinds of sanctification. So again, if you're taking notes, you will want to note this. There is what is called positional sanctification. Positional sanctification. This is where we see in the Old Testament that there were bowls and candles that were sanctified or set apart for particular purposes. You don't use a shovel for the coals in the Holy of Holies for digging a hole outside. It's sanctified. It's set apart. Its position is secure and firm regardless of, its, of how it's being used in this very moment. It is set apart. It is sanctified. And that's what Paul is talking about here is that you are sanctified. You are set apart, church in Greenville, Christ the Redeemer Church. Even the, the priest himself was considered holy, sanctified, set apart for a particular purpose. His position was secure by God Himself. And as it relates to human beings, the already of being positionally sanctified smacks up against the reality of the not yet of being what is called progressive sanctification. And this is where you and I get hung up. It's where I get hung up. It's like, okay, I say I'm a Christian. I know that I'm supposed to be holy as, as God is holy, and yet I ain't that holy. I got a whole lot of issues. But what Paul is telling us is that our sanctification is secure at one level, right? God has said, you are mine. You belong to me. You are now a priest to God. You are sanctified and holy. And then he says, but you are going to progress in this until Jesus returns. Or as Paul says in another place in 2 Corinthians, in his next letter to the Corinthians uh, 3.18, he says, Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That is what is called progressive sanctification. That is, God has set you and me apart positionally, to progressively call us to a glorious reality. And so my question for you, Christian, are you burdened and tired of your sin? The same sin that you confess week after week after week after week after week. Are you burdened by it? Are you tired? Are you wondering and are you hearing the inner critic in your own head and heart saying, there you go again. You messed up again. That's not the Lord's voice speaking over you. You, by God's grace, are being run through a crucible that is melting all of the impurities day after day and then when you think that it is refined, get poured into another crucible and it gets refined until the Lord on the day He returns will see you as pure refined gold. The Lord is burning away the pride that we don't want to confess. The self-serving attitudes that preserve my calendar, my energy levels. All of these things, the Lord says, I'm going to burn that away until all you have is me. Until I become your all in all, we ain't done with this progressive sanctification thing. 
So why is the Christian life so hard? Because it's so good that the Lord doesn't leave us in a place of saying we're one thing without us becoming what He says we are. Amen? Thanks. Because <laughs> it's true, y'all. Come on. It's true. You and I get frustrated day after day, don't we? It's like, man, I don't really believe what I say I believe. But the Lord is burning all the junk out of your life as you spend time with Him. How are you holy as He is holy? By spending time with Him, by being with Him, by being in His presence and beholding His face. And when you behold His face, you become like Him. So what are you beholding? And so because Paul knows this, Paul knows that they are not who they will be, he is able to say grace to you and peace to you. He doesn't come with retribution and judgment like you and I do with that little inner critic in our heads and our hearts. He says grace to you and peace The Lord offers both of these to you in the midst of all of the mess. You want to see the mess? Just keep reading. And Paul in the midst of that is saying, grace to you, peace to you. I ain't mad at you. Because I know that you are on a journey, you are on a path to see His face. He knows that even the hard to get along with people are on a journey. As one pastor I love and Respect, he said, that everybody's got a story. So that person, this is an application point if you're taking notes. It's free because it's not in my manuscript. But the person who's hard to get along with, find out what their story is. I promise you this, the person who is mm, like nails on a chalkboard, I promise you they got a story as to why they're like that. And if you and I would take the time to actually care about somebody, we might ask them, tell me about how you grew up. Tell me about why you are so fearful. Tell me about why you're so loud. Tell me about all these things. Because every single one of us has a story and and the gospel frees us up to actually care about people enough to ask them. And to not have judgment because our judgment is lousy. We think we know and we see through a glass dimly. And so Paul says what his job is, is what your and my job as priests of God is too. Is to merely point out the perfectly sanctified one, Jesus Christ, who not only was positionally sanctified, but he was perfectly sanctified. The only one. The God-man. And by beholding him... He knows that the Corinthians, day after day, their their glory will turn into more glory, will turn into more glory, will turn into more glory as they are changed into His likeness. But not only does He speak grace and truth to them, but He gives thanks to God for them. That's a whole other level. It's one thing to say, bless your heart. It's another thing to say, Lord, I thank you for that person that I just blessed uh, because they annoy me, but I thank you for them. I thank you for even the sin that they have committed against me in some way that you are using that so that I might find my complete all in all in you. Because we're going to see this in a moment. How does Paul reconcile that? Because they were mean to him. They called him a mouse. They called him weak. Called him a loser. And yet Paul says, I'm so thankful to God for you for bad-mouthing me behind my back that I found out about (laughs) He says, I thank my God for you whenever I remember you. 
And this is instructive for us as a church, I think. When was the last time, and I'm speaking to members of Redeemer, when was the last time you gave thanks for someone in this church? I mean, really. said, God, I thank you for fill in the blank. Do we oftentimes, and we do, take others for granted? We take it for granted that this awesome Advent candles were put up here by Adam and Kayla just earlier this morning. We take it for granted that this table is always set. We take it for granted that there's music being played. We take it for granted, fill in the blank. Let us be a grateful people in reality, not just thinking that, yeah, I need to cultivate that. Cultivate it. Now is the time to cultivate that. And so, practical point, I want you to sit down this afternoon, and I want you to send a text message. You can find people's contact information on Breeze. Yes, yes, thank you, members of Redeemer. Yes. And you can send, please send them a text message and think, I thank God for you because of this. Because of what you exhibit in your life. Because you are patient. Because you are kind. Because you are courageous. But I want you to notice something very instructive for us as we thank God for folks. Paul thanks God for them. He doesn't just say, hey, I want to thank you for being kind. (laughs) I want to thank you for being patient. I I want to thank you for being a great teacher. I want to thank you for... He thanks God for them because he knows that every good and perfect gift comes from God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. If there's any blessing that someone provides in your life, it's because God has poured it into their hearts and you are receiving a divine gift from their life. See, in Paul's life, he can thank God for frustrating people because God is his reference point. God is his reference point. And so many times, I know I do, I get bogged down with how people are in real time as opposed to saying, God, I want to commune with you in the midst of this difficulty. So God becomes the reference point in his life. Because because as one book says, God becomes big and then people get put in their proper proportion to him. He reminds them, he goes on to, if we're talking about who they are, he reminds them that they are rich in verse 5 and that they are not lacking in any gift. Verse 7, we're going to tease this out a little bit in 1 Corinthians and how this, this introduction lays out the rest of the letter. But he says that they are not lacking in any gift. And in recent uh, sociological studies, there's something, I don't know if you've heard of it or not, but there's something called a scarcity mindset and an abundance mindset. Is anybody familiar with it? You can raise your hand. We can move. Yes? Okay. Thank you, Christina. Great. Oh, 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 yeah, there's more. Oh, there's more. Oh, great. So a scarcity mindset and an abundance mindset. And a scarcity mindset looks at a, a, a pizza when you're at a party with friends and looks at a pizza and says, I better get me a slice before he gets it. And I'm not going to get one. I'm going to get two because I'm hungry. Because I don't know if there's going to be a pizza when this is all done. There's, there's 40 people, there's, you know. But an abundance mindset says, okay, it's okay, you go ahead, because there's 20 other pizzas underneath that pizza. And you know what can happen when we run out of pizza? We call up 
And we order more pizza. That's an abundance mindset. And so what Paul has in mind here is that you are not lacking. It's not as though God has this limited amount of pizza that he's giving you. And you get one slice, make sure everybody gets to share. He says, no, 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 no. Here, take as much as you want because there's more. And there's more after that. And I'll order more if you need more grace upon grace for you. And so Paul is having them step into this idea, what we read just a moment ago, and what we heard over us from Galatians, right? Where you are God's heirs. You are inheritors of a rich inheritance. Unlimited, because God Himself is unlimited. Oftentimes, as believers, we can see the gifting of another person, and we can feel less than, can't we? Well, I don't have that gift. Oh, man, oh, I wish I had that gift. We can actually look at someone and look at the life of someone and say, hmm, I wish I had that gift and I wish they didn't. <laughs> we begin to envy other people because they have gifts, because we have this scarcity mindset. See, the tendency stems from not seeing the riches that we have been given as sons and daughters of the Creator of the entire cosmos of all things, as our Heavenly Father. And the calling for each one of us is to hear again that you are a daughter, you are a son of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of every single thing. And if, and if it didn't exist, He can speak it into existence. That's the glorious truth of the riches that we have in Christ Jesus. But in order to get to that place of who we are, we have to go through our tendency to make ourselves worthy to be picked on the basketball team or any other team for that matter. And it has to get to the very essence of what it means to be a Christian. This is our second point. Is that we need to know who we are because of what He has done. Because of what He has has done. This is antithetical to the world in which we live in, to look at what He has done for us. What, what I want you to notice is the actor in each of these adjectives to the Corinthians, verse 2, right? You are sanctified, set apart. The question is, by whom? Verse 4, the grace of God that was given to you. Verse 5, you have been enriched with all the riches in Christ. These are all passive adjectives. You have been enriched. You have been given. All of this is yours in Christ Jesus. In another place, Paul says this to the Ephesians. He says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. He says in Philippians, my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of His glory in Jesus Christ. We oftentimes think that not only is God waiting for us to get our stuff together, get our act together, prove to us that we are worthy of grace, but we also think that He is stingy. And what Paul is trying to get our head around is that if He has done all of this for you in Christ Jesus, will He not give you all things? Christian, you are not lacking in anything. Although you may feel in this very moment, weak and frail, and like you messed up and done did it again, it's important for you to call to mind, independent of your feelings, 
Feelings are good. They're a gift from God. But independent of that, to be able to say, well, what is true about me according to God's Word? Because it's that very weakness in your own striving, because of your own striving, that the Lord wants you to bring yourself to Him. That you can find your acceptance and your affirmation. And maybe it's in those moments of most frailty and most failure that the Lord wants you to own and say, wow, I need thee every hour. I need thee. Because he loves you. And he wants you to know that he loves you. Not based upon what you have done, but upon what he has done. And it's all right for you to feel lacking and inadequate right now. That's okay, and that's actually a good place. I didn't come to call the righteous, but the unrighteous. I didn't come to call those who are healthy, but the sick. See, look at, look at the next part of verse 7. Look at verse 7 here. He says, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul is, of course, talking about the second coming of Christ. The day when the veil between what we see in ourselves and what God has called us to, when that veil is torn in two, Lord, that you would rend the heavens, that you would rend the already and the not yet and bring all of these things to pass. The reality of right now being fragile and weak and inadequate and the calling, as Paul says uh, to the Ephesians again at the end of that letter, to be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. That's where we find our strength. That's where we find our adequacy upon what He has done. But it's one thing to be showered with riches, like the dilettante aristocrat who has been given everything he wants, but then he's still a scoundrel. And maybe... In more, our more honest moments, we feel like that, that something is wrong on the inside. That, okay, I, I see all these great things that God has done, but there's something wrong with me on the inside. It'd be nice to know that my mortgage is paid. It'd be nice to know that I can get a new car every year. But the riches in Christ cannot be minimized to mere external gifts. See, the key to all of this is verse 8. The revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will sustain you because He is, verse 9, faithful. He is faithful. God will sustain you when you're faltering and when you feel weak. In that very moment, not after that moment, but in that moment. Because look, embedded within this word church, in verse 2, to the church, the ecclesia, those who are called out. But then even uh, in verse 9, it's like a sandwich, right? God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son. It's about communion with Him. And then Paul, in his own self-understanding in verse 1, what does he say? That I have been called by the will of God. Specifically, God has called out of the entire creation to you and to me, to find rest in Him. He's called out to the entire world to say, come to me and find rest for your soul. Find peace, find grace, find purpose. And then as Jesus has said, many are called, but few are chosen. And this stems from the picture that Jesus gives where He says, there's a table prepared. There is a table prepared here. For all to come to me. And how do you know if you're chosen? 
you respond to that call, that plain and simple. All those who call out to the Lord Jesus can sit down at his table and eat and enjoy that meal. And then, as we call out to him, he will, like Boaz that we read about in Ruth the previous weeks, he'll spread his wing of protection and love and grace and riches over you and provide everything that you need in Christ Jesus. And see, even more, the guilt and shame that you feel on the inside, the guilt and shame that you feel every day, can be dissolved. Because where you have failed to meet His standard, He has fulfilled the demands of the law. To every jot and tittle of the law, He has fulfilled the perfectly sanctify one. The perfection you have been grasping for, the little voice inside your head is calling you to a deeper reality and it's honestly out of your reach in and of yourself. He Himself has descended from on high and given gifts to men and women. He's given them freely perfect riches that will meet all of your needs that you are longing for and He welcomes you and anyone who will call on the name of the Lord Jesus to His table to what? Fellowship with Him to rich communion with God. All of these longings that we want, this acceptance, this affirmation, it stems from our longing for more of God. People will fail you. 401Ks will fail you. Jobs will fail you. Friends will fail you. But not Jesus. Heavenly Father, I thank You for my friends and my brothers and my sisters and for the great calling that You have bestowed upon us that You have given us every gift that we could ever long for in Christ Jesus. The perfectly sanctified One has called us into realms of heavenly glory and finding that our deepest longings are found in Him, that we no longer need to hear the siren calls of our world that says You are not enough and You have not done enough as though that's Your voice. Instead, we can hear Your voice calling over us that we are called and sanctified and beloved, that we are wealthy, that we are children of the King. We pray that as we enter into this Advent season that You would indeed light a fire in our hearts, that You would indeed prepare room in our hearts so that Jesus might reign. We ask it in His name. Amen.